0: I'm undeserving of that uh, title, you know, of soulmate and having a soulmate. In a weird way, I think I'm more cynical about myself than you guys are about yourselves. Mm. I just don't value myself as a, as a, as a, in a certain way mm. and in a certain fundamental way that I'm not tracking, you know, like how much I'm sort of being fucked around maybe by what i might be doing to myself the big
1: hormone Enneagram.
2: hi i'm john lukovic a uh, sexual self president with five wing 458 tri-fix.
0: Hi, I'm David Gray, self-pres, sexual nine with a one nine seven
1: four trifix. What up? It's Emma. I'm an eight wing seven, sexual self-pres with eight five four fixes.
2: Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self-pres social three wing four with a three six nine trifix. If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review.
1: Welcome back to The Big Home on Enneagram Show. Today, we're discussing the curious case of Mr. David Gray. We're continuing this conversation we're having about soul intercourse that we started last week. Uh, we wanted to discuss the factors that might get in the way of someone being able to experience something like this by unpacking David's completely normal and wholesome sexual history. We appreciate the comments that we've gotten from some of you about the last episode that you're enjoying the topic and we're going to use those comments in a future episode uh, so we want to encourage you to continue sending in comments at 323-696-0647 or you can email in a voice note to com. so what the hell are we doing
0: well another one. <laughs> no, it's not that interesting
1: anyway well that's that's an interesting thing that I want to get into with you is uh you have some kind of draw to like really young girls, and like if they have a draw to you as well, like it's not just you are attracted to young girls, but the young girls are attracted to you, so it's like there's something about you that's very specific, and like was that always a thing? you know has that been the case for a long time or? you know how did that become
0: a thing for you so i don't know if this makes sense but <clears throat> for me it's always been a thing where big age gaps are the thing or my history w- yeah. really big so like when i was young it was people that were 20 years older than me and shit or or more i mean yeah. i mean when i was a child <clears throat> i was like zeroed in i mean child meaning I don't know, six to 10 years old or whatever. I was really zeroed in on women that were specifically around 35 years old and, and, you know, somewhere in that range or whatever. And I would, I might have told you guys, I invited uh, one of my elementary school teachers. I asked my mom to invite her to dinner at our house. (laughs) (laughs) And she did. And we did. And we had dinner. And she was beautiful Italian with long black hair, Mrs. DiBianco. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so there's a thing with me and just people from unusual backgrounds and where there's just a wide variance of, you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. I like exotic, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. somehow comes up for me. Um,
1: yeah, so I don't know if that's an answer to the question, but. So uh, it's always been a thing, basically. It's always been kind of a theme large age gaps i mean yeah i think so there's always
0: these wide age gap things i've dated women for sure that are my age and you know within a year or two and even some of those are some of my long-term relationships are have been that you know i've had several three-year relationships people that are just a year or two older or younger Mm -hmm. so there's a wide variance um yeah.
1: <laughs> Got a pretty full menu of options. Yeah, because I was I was curious because if you know, like anyone who's really in it in a relationship would be thinking about that in terms of like life stage stuff. Cause it seems like lately, like at least in the past five years that I've known you or something, that it's always been grows in that age range where I think that conversation would come up in terms of like how are we gonna stay together. Yeah. Um, well, so there's probably there could be at least two or three factors
0: going on. I mean, one is that I do at the same time have a commitment problem, right? And so if there is that big age gap, then maybe that means there's automatically a built in, you know, cutoff at some point, because it's not going to work. Um, so there's that. Um, and it's partly, there's a serious erotic charge i mean just pure self-indulgence there's a major erotic charge to that thing of being in your 50s or your 40s or whatever and girls that are in their early 20s that's just yeah that, that age gap and just whatever that is as a if it's a somewhat of a taboo or who knows what but it's just it's it's partly also you know just the brutality of maybe male sexuality is you know, uh, as you're older, you've kind of seen it all. And so you want the very best, you know, which Mm -hmm. is just a fresh young new bile body as, as Mm -hmm. far as what's going to be sexually a turn on. Mm. Yeah. So you do have an, an an age gap kink. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Okay. And I don't know if you guys wanted to get into like, some of my formative history and I was, I still wasn't exactly finding the link back into, you know, the conversation about the both of you and what's gone on for you here lately. And I don't know if there is one exactly.
1: Well, I think from my point of view, anyway, it seems to me like, uh, well, I'm not sure if you are even, Looking for that or open to that, because at least you know I've been a hoe for sure. But I think in the back of my mind, there's always this feeling of I would like to find a soulmate, or I would like to find the one. But I don't know if you had some kind of experience that said I I would like to not be committed in a thing like that. Like it seemed to me like maybe you do, but at the same time maybe you're not. Like three year limits kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Like there's a built-in exit. So I'm just wondering if if there's anything that happened along the line where you're like, "Uh, I think I'm just going to, you know,
0: just have
3: fun.
1: (laughs) Right, right. So
0: one thing that's going on here uh, does get into my formative stuff is a a significant difference between the two of you is I just grew up with one parent, my mother, no siblings, and she never... Had uh, she never remarried, you know, after my father. Uh, I was probably born out of wedlock. um, And I'd say probably because the details are not clear and I didn't clear them up before my mother died when I was 25. So I never saw a marriage, right? Mm. So my model for adulthood is an adult alone. So that's one thing. And And I think also specifically because it's not having a father around, I kind of, um, in certain ways, you know, don't take myself seriously Um, as a male. I mean, that's part of why I kind of have, you know, that kind of, I don't know, teenage trickster, you know, Peter Pan kind of thing about me of kind of just everything's a joke in a certain way. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's from that, you know, part of what comes from having a male in the household, no matter, you know, what quality he is, you know, there's kind of a sense just by his presence of a kind of the seriousness of the reward and punishment or karma of the universe is, mm. is, is represented in that. You know, to whatever degree the male body conveys sort of wrath or vengeance or anger or something something punishing maybe from yeah. god God, if you will, right? Yeah, so I don't have that. <clears throat> and my mother also treated me as her equal um since earliest, I mean early, 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 like literally toddler. she was talking to me you know, as an adult and she never punished me, um, or disciplined me whatsoever, ever. Uh, and so, um, so that was, and on that latter point, that further solidified a sort of sense of not mattering because Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't matter enough to be punished or disciplined, you know, that was completely unconscious. But when you hear about everybody else, all the other kids, all your friends getting grounded or suspended or da, 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 all that kind of stuff, um, you know, it, it, there's a message underneath there that's that was coming through. And and uh, <clears throat> so then when it comes to the idea of a serious partner, um, and it's partly my ness, you know, of not being able to gather myself into a cent into a central something, uh, you know, it's hard for me to take seriously the idea of somebody taking me seriously mm. in that in that way and in that really directed, targeted, centralized, focused way. But then at the same time, I'm playing with it, right? I'm I'm yeah. wanting it. I'm wanting to be wanted, and so forth.
1: Cause one thing I've thought about is uh, a lot of times when much older guys are into like like really young girls, it's usually because like uh, they're trying to play out the age gap kink. For them, is more about like a daddy thing, where you know they're really really pushing hard into that male figure uh, stern extra daddy kink. But I don't get the sense that that's the case for you. It's it like a sense that you're more feeling like you're more on equal footing with with the girls that are that age or is there a daddy thing playing out there also
0: yeah it's it's more um who knows what's going on unconsciously but i think it's more a sense of being equals even with women that yeah. are much younger than me yeah i mean there's some i don't i don't have a particular thing about wanting to be some kind of it's not a kink as far as being a Daddy authority, something or right, it. right. I, I don't mean, get that sense from you.
1: Yeah, like so. I'd, I'd have more of a even when even pretty young as a kid, maybe because of my dad, like he was such an overbearing social ape, that I I always took on much more of a role of every other kid's dad kind of a thing, <laughs> where you know I'm the one who's cussing out the kids and getting them to like this is what you're supposed to do. Stop acting like idiots. I was doing that in grade mm. school. Um, you know, there's always been like a big brother thing Mm -hmm. for me. I think the combination of having a pretty stern dad and also being like the firstborn son, it's always been on my shoulders, you know? So, um, it's interesting to me that I, I I don't get younger girls coming after me. So it's interesting that you do consistently. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Have we zeroed in on what that is? I'm not even sure
1: what's making that. It comes back to the top soul sex because... You know, I mm-hmm. think on a level of attraction on that level, like people are uh, tapping into who you are on a mm-hmm. soul level. Like what you unconsciously are putting out there is attracting a certain type of person. And I find that interesting. Like, you know, if you just sit back and let attraction do its thing, you're going to pull yep. in somebody who's a reflection of you, like the real you in like, a, an, like an unconscious polarity is going to be there. And I find that interesting. And so the conversation that we've had about, you know, how do do people experience this sort of soul match uh, that we were talking about in the last episode? Um, So one thing worth mentioning here
0: is the really the most intense relationship I had with a woman was... This woman I've mentioned to you guys before, she's a sexual social eight with a seven, eight, five, two that I met on the Riso Hudson discussion board. And she was, um, if we're talking about ages, she was 33 and I was 48 at the time, so that's not quite as big of an age gap. And that was the most powerful relationship I've ever been in, and we never met It was all online and voice conversation and mostly written. And we were writing to each other four to six hours a day through Skype messenger. And we were deep inside each other's souls and minds. And, and we were, and that person, she got me, uh, I mean, I was ready to marry her and she wanted to get Mm. married and she was, you know, doing cutesy girly stuff like taking on my last name but I mean it was also serious and really unusual strange but powerful force of a person (laughs) deep soulful um emotional sensitive person and and uh yeah we we were you know text you know writing to each other uh for 10 months every single day for hours and hours and hours, and we were just way inside each other. You know, it got to where, as an eight, um, you know, it's kind of like that sexual eight surrender thing. She was fully there. I mean, we're talking about both of us, just extreme psychological nudity, like I would never experienced with anybody. Just a really sweet, just so... Innocent, the kind of innocence that is really daunting. It's like, oh my God, I do, I, you know what I mean? I don't want to besmirch this Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. my poison or my fucked upness because this is, this is so much giving yourself to somebody. And she's such a powerful personality that to go to that place with me, it's like, you know, I'm thinking, do you know what you're doing? I mean, and I, I'm sure we had that conversation. But anyway, uh, when it came down to it, her contract was over in terms of her, her her teaching project there. She actually got scared and just completely cut it off. And she had told me, you know, it's something like you've described before, Amica. just she had told me, you know, many months before that when she decides she has to end something because it's gonna be just too big of a vulnerability exposed. She mm-hmm. just, just the wall comes down and it's as if you never existed. So at, 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 at some point as it was getting close to us and we were constantly talking about just all the little details of living together, being together, I mean, both body types, were both constantly imagining being in the same space together hmm. and just all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and just at a certain point, as we were getting close, uh, she just, it was too much for her. Here's the other piece, too, is that she was 33, but she was still a virgin. Oh, wow. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. She's gorgeous, but she, but that's how self-protective she is. I mean, she was super sexual. I mean, I was constantly feeding her, uh, you know. Uh, literature porn that I was making up on the spot and and she was jacking off and stuff and I thought you were gonna say dick pics (laughs) (laughs) that came too, dick pics and dick
3: films
0: (laughs) 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 for sure but um yeah um anyway so yeah for whatever that says about you know that that was the same thing you guys are talking about. I mean, that was full on just deep soul penetration stuff. Um, and, you know, it was based on not having the experience of physically having met, but but things like, and I think I might have mentioned this to you guys before, you know, she told me that on the Riso Hudson discussion board, um, you know, because I was super active on there and, and writing all the time, she said she used to masturbate to my mind. Hmm. So it was like, oh shit. Okay. (laughs) Wow. This is a whole (laughs) fucking other level, you know, somebody that's that into, you know, who I am and my way of thinking and my creativity and so on. So anyway, so that's, um, for whatever that means in terms of ultimately maybe what I'm open to Um, that showed me that I could do that, that I could go to that
1: extreme place. Is is that the only time that that's happened for you? Or is that, do you have anything close to that since then? That's
0: the only time I've had something that intense. Yeah. That I was like actively talking about living together and marriage. And I mean, it's that feeling you guys will know it. I mean, it's like, this is the most important romantic drama that's ever happened in the universe.
3: Yeah. You know, it's yeah. That
1: feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like we mentioned before, saying. it's not something that's going to happen. I mean, I guess if you've been alive long enough, you realize like this is fucking rare. I think once a decade would be pretty yeah. special. And if you even have it once
2: in your life, that's pretty special. So, like, have you been able to track her down since, or is that an interest or anything like that? I haven't
0: um and she's really again, she's probably the most private person that anybody that any any of us have ever met ever. I mean, you know, she cut it off, so mm-hmm. um and so I'm assuming it's that's that, and i mean it was it was hell for me i was I was suicidal, mm-hmm. and I was just and I was assuming. I kept hoping <clears throat> and telling people I'm going to hear from her, you know, I'm going to hear from her at some point, at some point. And I was still saying that probably even a year later, and I'm still, yeah. Um, yeah. No, it was, it was absolutely brutal. I mean, I was truly literally on my knees, just broken. So
1: do you think there's a possibility that that, kind of horrific experience heart-wrenching experience had any impact on you in terms of like uh I mean I could imagine if that happened to me that I it would be a long time before I'd be even open to possibility of something like that again do you think that had any sort of effect on you in terms of the way you approach relationships since or no I think it
0: actually I think it's somewhat the opposite I think it actually showed me that I could do that and I didn't know that before yeah. Um yeah, but now I know that I have to meet the person as soon as possible face to face.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So so I mean like in terms of like I'm because I'm interested in you David, I'm interested in this all this, but I wonder like is this maybe stuff that we want to have on the podcast, you know, like or mm-hmm. uh should, should, sorry. Like,
1: yeah, like, David, how comfortable are you with this information being out
0: there? Yeah, no, I was thinking about that before we recorded. And I think I'm fine with all of it going ahead and being out there. I mean, you guys tell me if there's anything that's detrimental in any way to any of the three of us or four of us or whatever.
1: I don't think anything you've said is fucked up because you've talked about, um, oh, the age gap thing is like, like why that's a thing for you. Um and it's not like trying to sugarcoat it or anything. It's just that's what it is. Um, but I think some people are always gonna think you're a creep anyway. So I don't really think there's anything we could say to change that. <laughs> I don't have a lot of morality around
0: that stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just a fact of who I am. And so, but again, if just whatever open to you guys as far as whether it's in any way a, a negative whatever something
1: about for us you know john probably is the best person who could answer that because i don't really have i have more than you do but john has way more than i do in terms of awareness (laughs) of how's this going to (laughs) look
2: yeah and i'm not great but uh (laughs) but yeah like i don't know i think like i think this is really interesting and i i so for, for one thing that strikes me that somebody can misinterpret is like you know, like just the term like much younger girls, right? Mm -hmm. Like that in itself, I don't know, maybe needs more clarification of in terms of the Mm -hmm. age gap, but I also think um, I'm trying to separate like what I'm interested in as hearing you out in your story as your friend versus Mm -hmm. what I think would be building on like, what, what, what would like make sense as a podcast thing or like, or even just taking what you've spoken to and thinking about it or like, like unpacking it from like what we talked about in the last uh, episode and this, this subject of soul meeting and sexuality and all this kind of stuff. Um, I think at least from where
1: I was coming from is that
2: uh, from the perspective of
1: how can someone be open to something like this happening? And then, you know, looking at David's history to see, um, I'm curious, I've been curious as to, to whether he was open to that, if he's had any experiences mm-hmm. like that. And um, I guess the the from my perspective, there's a way that maybe there's a built-in exit in D- David's relationships. And if that's a way to prevent this sort of soul meeting from happening, but there are ways that we are sort of preventing that kind of intimacy from happening because it is incredible, right. but it's also really vulnerable. And maybe we've had a bad experience in the past that we're like, okay, I'm going to shut it down. And um so just yeah, just exploring like how does one open themselves up to the possibility of a soul meeting on that level? Yeah. Through, like David's story if that's actually going to connect in that kind of way.
2: Yeah, I also want to protect David like you know just cuz we know how crazy people are about him. Yeah. And Yeah, yeah.
1: Sometimes being social blind we we just like feel like just throw it out there, but everything I guess learning how people are listening to every fucking episode and sifting through everything we're saying. Yeah. I mean, I could just edit out the stuff about younger girls and just focus on the part where you talked about having that soul connection with that sexual aid. Um, Yeah. I could edit out just the stuff that has to do with the the age gap,
0: basically. I mean, I don't know. To me that uh, this is me to me, that needs to be in there. That's just something about me. It's about, it's about, um, I don't know, like exoticism and that, and, and, and it even relates to male friends. I mean, that's, it's more interesting, you know, to me, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just like people that aren't like me, you know what I mean? And, and, and I guess maybe it's a, a cheap way to do it in some sense is to just have this huge age gap or whatever but whatever you know what i mean it's it's uh i don't know if that makes any sense
1: no it it does i I think the explanation is good i just think people that are going to be upset are going to be upset about it regardless of whatever you say just because the age gap thing is taboo and it was not like we're talking specifically about how much of an age gap (laughs) well well and i don't mind and yeah
0: maybe maybe this is what you were saying john is to say what the age gap is so that it's not i'm not dating 13 year olds or
1: something
0: (laughs) no no no
2: no no. (laughs) it's all adult consenting women like it's all like you know i mean totally yeah like i I just think i yeah i just want to be yeah just protective of of you and stuff and uh i don't i'm not a great gauge Uh of what upsets people or doesn't
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's why i asked it you know just what's, what's in it for you, I guess, because I mean, I I know what my experience of um, girls that are significantly younger than me. Yeah. yeah. It's like, why does that work for you? <laughs> that's, so that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. So um, I'm not interested
0: in a woman, you know, even at that age, if she doesn't have strength of personality, yeah. I have no, I have no interest in someone who's you know obsequious or you know wanting to just follow me around and uh say yes to whatever I want to do I want somebody who is a force uh you know it's got to be at least some modicum of you know where this person is a challenge to me even if she is you know 22 or whatever you know what I mean yeah I have no interest in that somebody just obeying me and me being some controlling ogre or some shit yeah
2: yeah 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 and that's i mean that's a really good point to bring in because yeah i mean i know you know online but i know one of your exes who is a strong personality and a you know and uh, i never ever got the sense of it being some weird you know, this I mean, everybody might argue that age is a power imbalance, but it always sure. it felt very equal, it felt very respectful from from what I observed. And like, you know, Alexander knows this your your ex and mm-hmm. spoken directly to her a couple of times and
3: mm-hmm.
2: seems like a strong, independent person. Exactly. Yeah. And and it's
0: just I'm just literally not even going to be attracted if that's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I like to be you know, I'm really clear, you know, about who I am, what I am, and, and I'm ready to have whatever the difficult conversation is about, you know, how long this could last, or that kind of thing, or, and, and and what my history has been, and, yeah, it's always an open conversation, and it's not, not leading somebody on about, you know, I don't know, whatever, if they had designs on maybe we're going to get married soon or or something like that if it, yeah. it, you know depends on the dynamic of the relationship or what the the specifics of the relationship um but you know there's some relationships i get into where it's much more apparent from both sides that this is going to be a, a temporary thing but nonetheless we're still going to get close to each other and we may even love each other that's interesting
2: so, you know i i think The more intimate, the more there's like aggression and pain, and Mm -hmm. like I have this thing of feeling like fucking angry at the universe for not bringing me this person sooner. And Mm -hmm. yeah, like, and it's like amazing how Mm -hmm. much like grief I have and stuff. And I've, I I mean, part of my problem, so to speak, is I've been like looking for my soulmate since I was a little little kid. You know, like Mm -hmm. in a very real focused way and i think that's you know like what we spoken to more privately about like issues i have around jealousy and stuff it's like it's not even like somebody introduced the concept of soulmate to me and i like just was like yeah that's it it was just like an inherent part of what i who i am or something has been mm-hmm. looking for that like that that one person and so you know a lot of my i think relationship failures come from or i don't know if failure is the right word but suffering has come from trying to make somebody meet me on that level and be that in that way that I, I was seeking. So I wonder like, you know, Emeka, like some of the pain that you might be experiencing on that front, but also David, like, like, I don't know if like it came up around um, that sexual eight that you're with, or like if you have that sense of soulmate or if that's not really a thing for you or like, for me, I think I have like a, it's, it's neurotically too much, <laughs> you know, but I wonder yeah, how yeah. you guys relate to it.
1: <laughs> well, for me, I mean, I guess even before I knew what a sexual type was, you don't have to be a sexual type to be really, to have this sort of soulmate orientation. But I always did. I always felt that way that um, one day I'm going to meet her and we're going to live together and it's going to be amazing and all this stuff. And then you get older and you realize, man, people are hooking up left and right. Like, you know, as an assertive type, you just realize, oh, there's this whole world of people that are just, fucking indiscriminately every every day of the week for no reason at all and so I was like well let me get in on that um thinking uh, for me I thought that people were hooking up and finding their soulmates that way naively I just thought that this is what happens you have sex with someone and it's really good and really deep and you are into each other and you just continue doing that and it becomes that's how I thought it was going to work for me and i didn't realize that people were hooking up that way because they didn't really want to feel anything mm. they just wanted to come and go home and never acknowledge the person they were with so i was approaching finding a soulmate through i guess what turned out to be the wrong way <laughs> <laughs> i didn't i didn't think that i thought that you know if you had sex with someone that what could be more intimate than that like regardless of how you right. met totally um and so i had to realize that that wasn't. Working in it, I was gonna have to be patient in terms of allowing who I am to hook someone who was on the same wavelength as me. um, Instead of going out there and trying to make it happen, because obviously whatever methods I was employing weren't pulling in those kinds of people. So, yeah, it's just been a constant, regardless of what I've been doing. I've been trying to find a way to to find her and. Um, I think that's the only reason it finally happened. It's like, I've always had the intention that this is what I wanted. I just had to get more honest and specific about the way I was pursuing it so that it would be more likely that this could happen. So it's been a lifelong theme, maybe not as strong as yours is, John, but Mm -hmm. it's, you know, I've just maybe used different methods to go about finding it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I sense Emeka that you and I like have kind of a similar baseline, but I did it as an introverted four, and you did it as an extroverted yeah, yeah. eight. You know, like I, yeah,
1: absolutely. And you know, one thing I think I mentioned to David is that there there was this uh, sort of the eight thing of trying to make the impossible thing. Mm. So it's like it's kind of impossible that, um, like my first relationship, I met her in a bar. I spotted her across the room. It was like light shone down from the heavens and said. You need to go get her. And we met, we made out, and it was like, boom, like that was my first relationship. And it was in my 20s. And I just thought, for whatever reason, that I could always meet my soulmate that way. Like, I like going to bars, and why couldn't she be here, you know, someone like me? Um, and so there's also re- recognizing that it's kind of difficult, it's kind of impossible. Well, I, I learned that the bar is probably not the best place to meet your soulmate. <laughs> but part of me was like, But it's going to happen for you. (laughs) It's like you're Mm going to make it happen. So there was this attraction, like sort of making the unlikely, impossible uh, attraction be my soulmate. And I've always been attracted to really unlikely matches and really counterintuitive attractions, like something that I could have never thought for myself in order to sort of prove how special it is that it could come out of completely left field and so i was trying to make these like unlikely attractions work um and at some point i just had to realize you need to stop (laughs) it's just stop doing that and just like
2: forcing stuff
1: yeah yeah just like Mm -hmm. eight forcing this thing that this fantasy that you have about turning this impossible attraction into into the soulmate trying to make that your soulmate uh let's see for me well there's a lot of i mean the
0: nine thing of I don't matter is it's a real thing. Right. (laughs) So, so um, so the idea, you know, of, well, just somebody seeing me that way as the thing is that's, it's hard to hold that as a solid something. And, Mm. and, and like I'm undeserving of that uh, title you know, of soulmate and having a soulmate. And yeah, I mean, just some of that's somewhat generic, low self esteem stuff of, you know, just uh, anybody that would like me, there must be something wrong with them kind of thing. Mm. Um, And, uh, but also, you know, one aspect is, I hate falling in love. I hate it. I mean, I just Mm. hate that. I hate that. I hate. I mean, this is partly self president and maybe combined with being a, you know, gut autonomy type that the, the seizing of my whole being is just horrible. It's just the worst thing. I just don't, it's a, it's a complete loss of control uh, of my whole being and yeah, just lose all footing, all grounding, um, And just feels like I could completely lose myself. And it's, well, just mainly focusing, I guess, on the self president piece of that. It just feels like uh, I'm going to be completely dissolved. And because I'm a nine, I can really fucking dissolve. (laughs) 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 You know, know, I'd just be gone. And there's not going to be a person there. And I'm really just going to be, it feels like I'm just going to be limp. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be in the ocean, just flailing. I'm going to lose all of my personal power. And that's what it feels like. And I've fallen in love a number of times and it, you know, (laughs) I haven't died or whatever. Um, I haven't, you know, I didn't, I didn't completely lose everything that I had in my life or something or um, stop doing my own separate interests or pursuing things that were mine and and mine alone not related to her and so forth but uh yeah that's a big factor is probably my difference between you two on the instinctual stuff of you guys sort of being willing to go there and plus it's your three you know your trifix you know it's more individuated and solidified into a a single entity uh
1: if that makes sense Mm -hmm. part of it for me is just seeing that it's sort of miraculous for me that that's even possible because i am Mm -hmm. a pretty specific person and uh that i could even be attracted to someone and be able to fall in love with them is a miracle in itself and so Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I uh I don't cast the wide net at all. So for me to be like really into someone and really experience that, I mean that's the, this is the second time in my entire life that that's happened. Um so it's I'm always I'm always thankful that it's even possible. <laughs> I think at least for me there's no risk um you know, I'm over here in my corner psychologically and to have, have someone that I can that can meet me in that way that I want to meet in that way that I'm capable of meeting in that way is like a miracle because a lot of times there's this feeling of like there's nothing in this universe that i can connect to (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) right right so the fact that there's one person that that can happen with is like thank
0: god Mm. (laughs) that's interesting yeah you know yeah that's interesting because as as a nine i feel like there's so many different people i could connect to even though i'm a really specific nine and mm-hmm. you know pretty individuated in a lot of ways um i just see there
1: being you know probably many more than you guys <laughs> oh yeah yeah you know, i think it's a miracle know? that it even happens once for me that's like well, wow
2: yeah no i mean yeah. even finding people physically attractive is so rare for me yeah you know just like i can see just every little fucking flaw so quick that yeah that yeah really feeling affected by somebody is like fucking huge. And so in, in my current relationship with a nine, I think one of the reasons that that for her and our connection is powerful is that in in other dynamics, she's had to change herself to make it work. Part of like what started the real attraction is that, you know, she's always had this soulmate thing too. And like uh, so much in our relationship, it's like, I love who she is like, totally like just, she doesn't like, I mean, and I've checked in with her in this, and she might say different, but I don't think she would that she doesn't have to change for me. But yeah, it's that nine thing of like, I don't matter, and like, I have to be this other way to find mm. what I'm seeking. Um, and so for me, like, you know, another thing is her being Bermuda too, that comes up is like, I'm so so specific, and I've like known mm-hmm. exactly everything since I was born, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Like, like all my opinions and convictions and outlooks and everything. It's not like I, I learned much. It's just like, it's all like, just, you know, I've seen how I've been too rigid, but it's like, it's kind of like I had them all, all my beliefs and opinions. And for her, there's this sense of, uh, she feels non-specific, whereas I experienced her as very specific. And so that comes up a lot in terms of, yeah, just, just like insecurities and challenges. You know, you speaking to the nine thing. Mm, um, yeah anyway is this making sense i mean i think it yeah. probably comes back to the thing that david's talking about
1: in terms of not mattering as a nine so the right. idea that someone could could love you like the real you instead of what a nine might feel like they have to adapt to that that doesn't seem like a real thing that you know how could someone right.
2: love me completely right when i don't matter mhm mhm right like I, I i like yeah yeah that's yeah that there's there's a lot of like grief in a sense, I know for her end for sure, but for, and my end too, of just like of you matter so fucking much, how could you have behaved like you didn't matter? you know it's like, mm. Mm, yeah, like I'm angry about that. it's like i mm. th- i oh. i i yeah that like that's that's one of the biggest uh points of challenge in in terms of this level of intimacy. It's not just, oh, everything's great now, like you guys love each other, blah blah blah, there's a lot of like how could you have. Like operated for so long, like I think I said to her, I was like, "How could you?" Like, like I'm, I was, I'm angry at like her whole environment mm-hmm. that ever made her feel that anything about her was not is incredible and unique. And you know that she, she told me the story. We were at the beach the other day, and she told me the story about how, you know, is, is in high school or something or early college, she'd like go to the beach by herself and like listen to music and like, uh like write down the notes. You know, like trying to like translate it from just sound into notes and being all like, you know, the way she put it was like being nerdy. And, uh, I thought that was cool, but she said something like she had to hide it. Like she'd get made fun of. I was like, that shit is the coolest fucking thing. And I, I I constantly feel this, like this sense of like, I wish I could go, not even as me, like, but somehow back in time in some way and connect like through time to her younger self. That was just like, this shit is incredible. Like this shit is Mm -hmm. amazing. And it, there's so much, mm-hmm. there's so many, you know, especially her as a social type, so much of her suffering from feeling just totally alone. And it's like, like, you know, I'm a piece of shit, whatever. I don't give a fuck. But like, like, she, just wishing that she knew that somebody out there would just like admire the fuck out of these things, you know, they're mm-hmm. all like little treasures, you know. Anyway.
1: Yeah.
0: It's, it's making me want to do a little bit of my formative stuff here, if you guys will indulge totally. me. So, uh, I was born out of wedlock, just to my mother, no siblings. Um, my mother's, uh, we were living in Washington, D.C. My mother was working for a couple of senators on Capitol Hill, speechwriter and newsletter writer. And so she was a working woman. Uh, she was 42 when I was born. And uh, and I had a nanny, um, so right away, because um, my mother was working. And... Conversations I had with my mother, you know, later um, before she died when I was in my 20s. A woman was probably a type two because I was into the Enneagram about 22, and we were um, already talking about different people and trying to type people and stuff. And anyway, this nanny was really attached to me. Uh, she was my nanny from the time I was born till I was two and a half. The nanny really wanted me badly. for herself uh she wanted to keep me and and it got subsequently more intense and and it was one reason uh my mother said that that was one reason why she moved away from washington besides being sort of fed up with capitol hill and all the shit that goes on there um and so in my formative years when all that you know deep deep object relations shit is happening i'm bonding with two mothers mm. okay and my mother my mother's mother was a 2 okay and my mother was a 1 and my mother was specifically making a, making it a principle as a 1 <laughs> to not be twoish to not be mm. mother m- not be that smothering mother 2 thing right and so uh the nanny though was that, and so we moved to New Paltz, New York, when I was uh two and a half, and suddenly, I don't have you know I lost a parent really right mm-hmm. uh and there's probably like some trauma stuff there, if that's the right word, I know that word mm-hmm. gets thrown around way too much, but um Uh, But what happened there in New Paltz is, uh, of course, my mother still has to work and so forth. So I've got a babysitter. Uh, There's a woman named B who was um, uh, babysat for about a dozen kids. And I became her favorite. And it was (laughs) like, I was the obvious favorite, right? And and total favoritism shown toward me. So also, this brings in, you know, some of the object relations in the sense of actually like the fixes in my trifix and my wing, because I've got the full as a nine, seven, four. And when one wing, I've got all three frustration types. So if frustration oh, yeah. type, yeah. So if frustration is knowing exactly what you want and being frustrated that you don't have it, I was pretty clear as a young child, you know, I can remember five, six, seven, eight, nine, not wanting to have the mother that I had. Mm. Like I was really clear of this is, I I didn't think she was physically attractive. I wanted an Oedipal, you know, quasi, not literally sexual, but you know what I mean? That I wanted that attraction. I wanted attraction between mother and me because I probably got that. I probably got a lot of affection from that nanny, um, in my formative years. And it was, um, you know, just really doting on me and and uh, and praising me and that kind of stuff. And so there was there's a mix, there's a real swirl there for me, of seducing second mothers, even in childhood. And when I'm, when I was about eight years old, I can't remember if I told this story on that one podcast a while back when we talked about my teacher or whatever when I was thirteen. But when I was eight years old my mother got sick with osteoporosis and had to be in the hospital for about three months. And I stayed with this kind of hippie family. This is the mid seventies and uh, a couple that had three kids, but the husband was, you know, having affairs and stuff. And, um, and uh, you know, openly, you know, it was a hippie kind of scene (laughs) and uh, I stayed with them for three months and I very clearly I was eight years old was seducing that mother and we would all watch TV at night uh, in this one room where there was like a bed couch type thing and everyone would be sprawled out or whatever and just fall asleep or something. Um, And I woke up one night, you know, to her and I are on the couch together on this bed couch thing. And she was kissing my ear and saying, I love you. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I froze because I had no idea what to do with that. Even though I was seducing to get this kind of attention, then here it is. And of course I'm eight years old and I've yeah. you don't
2: know what you're doing. Not at all.
0: (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. And so anyway, well, I can remember my mother coming over to pick me up. Um, from at the end of that long stay, and, and she could tell something had happened there. My mother was very intuitive uh, about stuff that was going on for me, always was. And she she knew there was like a special connection had been made there. But um, you know, my mother was just very hands-off and and sort of overly fostering independence, which was good in a lot of ways. And we were uh intellectual peers often. I mean, or that's how she wanted it to be or framed it up to be. But, um, yeah, there was just kind of, my mother was social last also SPSX. So there was kind of no, there's a lot of latitude for relationships to look like whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's kind yeah. of like not a lot of needing things to fall into certain roles and things like that. And yeah. So, I mean, like with my mother's friends, <clears throat> it would happen somewhat frequently, that they would say something to me like man if you were just a few years older mm-hmm. you know what i mean which was like gold to me like <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Give me more of that shit um so yeah i mean it, some of this is maybe also having a seven fix and sexual middle i mean there's a lot of sort of play in that where i'm just kind of being flippant in that whole space of attraction and so forth i mean and it all gets swirled in with more serious stuff too, like really needing love, you know, or, or some qualities. I kind of was doubling up on mothers to make up for not having a father. Yeah. One thing too. Right. So yeah. And then like the next big incident that happened was at 13 with that teacher. And like, I was all about it. I mean, that was not at all. Some people have framed that up subsequently as I don't know, some someone taking advantage of me, I was wanting to go to her house every single day that summer. And I did, you know, i totally wanted that attention and, and she wanted to adopt me and stuff. So, um, anyway, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I
1: think it's interesting from the point of view of, I just been thinking about how, you know, the way attraction works, at least on a soul level, is that whatever your intention is and wherever you're really at, like, that's what you're going to get like that's Mm -hmm. what you're going to pull in like there is some magic about who you really are at a core soul level and um people really sensing and feeling into that and that that's what you're going to attract um so it's just interesting to me to hear like you know like even as a child that you were into this sort of dynamic and that's what you were attracting
2: well and i wonder you know since we were talking about like uh you know that you've either liked much older women or much younger women. If maybe like as you get older that you're sort of taking on the identifying with almost that like older mother or parent's role, you know, in relation to like, you know, the younger partner might be like a, a surrogate for a younger self or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely that. I, I, uh,
0: I feel just as much I'd say motherly as I do fatherly, towards mm-hmm. younger partners, and and it's kind of got that maybe as a nine, I can that's more of a natural um, sort of style is to it's more that holding kind of energy and that accepting, motherly, kind of you know mm-hmm. unconditional, unconditional, um, yeah, just holding space
1: for someone to be whatever they are. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, really interesting. That you have this pattern as as a kid, but it also plays itself out in reverse. Mm-hmm. you know, much older.
2: yeah. so and then, so do you feel like the the sense of not mattering in a way, like your mom trying to counter your grandma's stifling quality, mm-hmm. almost made you feel not not valued or wanted, and then there was all these these other mothers, other women that really wanted you that would get taken away constantly. Yeah. So do you, I wonder if that is like, uh, you know, I, I suppose all that would just really reinforce the sense of not mattering underneath everything. And that maybe diving in a certain level of intimacy or a certain level of wantingness would mean that that figure would be taken away somehow.
0: Yeah. And it's, I mean, maybe this is, again, speaking typologically nine and seven, um, there's a, a a significant aspect of all of this is kind of that i'm tricking people into being attracted to me mm-hmm. i'm tricking them i'm just doing these things that are charming or lovable or cute or you know what i mean or creative even or you know having <clears throat> facility with Psychological language and emotional intelligence and, um, you know, but but it's ultimately all a trick because there's really not something solid and congealed that's me that somebody could be loving. So I'm destined to just kind of go from person to person and attraction to attraction. And I can be flippant about myself in all of that. You know, I'm not take myself seriously as a soul. You know, as part of what's happening.
2: Yeah, mm. I take myself seriously. Yeah, like that. I mean, through the Bermuda lens. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an element that I I, well, I recognize in in what Alexandra spoke into. Not not in the same kind of fun tricking way, but like, oh, I've got to do this, or I've got to play this role, or offer this. You know, this thing to to like keep keep someone with me, yeah. And I mean, I have my own version of that too. Of you know, I have to be the most like unique, deep thing that anything's ever existed. You know, and the most intense sexual experience, and the most this with you, and the most this with you, and the you know that kind of a thing. Uh, but it's interesting. Because at least what I'm experiencing, and I think Emma, you're experiencing this, is uh, so much of it is like all those fucking games don't really fucking matter. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, oh, this fucking thing, this strategy I've been working on forever doesn't do shit. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe
1: this is an attachment type thing um, because my current partner has been struggling with this idea that she's not bringing enough to deserve this. And, I wonder if that's an, like an attachment type thing where it's like, what am I offering that, that makes this something that I can have? Um, mm. You know, who am, I, who am I that this good thing, like it's partly like I'm experiencing this incredible chemistry and this person loves me and, but like, what have I brought to the table um, to the dirt, to deserve this? I think a lot of attachment type is just, what role do I have to play in order to get through life? And, you know, who do I have to be in order to, to justify being loved and things like that? Adapting. And so yeah, like there's a way that I have to play a role in order to receive love. And so here's someone who me who sees her for who she is, not for the the role that she's playing, and not like, oh, you know, like she said some things about like I was thought i could get people attracted to me if i just looked pretty or if i did this and like you saw me for who i really am and it's bringing up all this fear that i'm not doing enough you know for him to to uh love me less this way like there's a lot of um negative thoughts around that and so i i I feel like there's a way that attachment types are sort of like self-erasing in a way that I am what I bring and what role I'm playing. And for, you know, like we talked about, like, offering individuation individuation to attachment types, like, to really see them for who they are. Um, that's still, that's amazing, but it's also a threat to the whole type structure.
0: Yeah, in, individuation is just really important. This, this thing of when you get down to it with attachment types, uh, that there's not this central thing that is congealed and an individual about you like you're always spread wide to this the, you've got these tendrils going out and those are what you are you know you, there's some individuality but there's this sense that uh you're not this thing that's gathered at the center that is an individual something that, that could be looked at and thought of as special and different.
1: Yeah. And, and, and part of the issue is like, I point out, I point out to her all the different individual gifts that she has, Mm -hmm. but it's almost like it just rolls off her back. (laughs) um, So I think it's one of the challenges of, you know, nine, six, and three, is just uh, being able to accept their own individuality and like, you know, it is kind of a threat to, to see, I just love who you are. Like it doesn't have to be who you are plus extra. (laughs) It's like, and so there's a, a, an avoidance of just seeing that I, who I am is special without, you know, what I represent or what role that I'm playing, because that's kind of like what attachment types, you know, get comfortable doing in relationships. It's like, well, I'm just going to have to play this role to keep this relationship going. Whereas when someone sees them for who they are, it's like, well, what do I do now?
0: (laughs) Yeah, for me, it's like, the best I'm going to get is I'm going to be able to trick people into giving me a certain amount of love and affection for a certain amount of time. And that's, that's what I'm going to get. So that's my, that's my life sentence.
2: Wow. Well, I think, you know, it's probably similar with rejection type, you know, like, like, I mean having to pr- like the way you know way you put it is mean, like producing interestingness right like yeah i'm sure that based on what i've picked up from just shit i i suspect that you have a strong need to kind of keep pumping out the uh the juice the interestingness the like going hard with stuff to kind of keep somebody's interest or something like yeah that. yeah like, and just being like a a blob piece of shit is like like <laughs> you know like oh that's I don't know. Like, I, I, my experience with with rejection types is like, not knowing who they are, or maybe not, not, not the right word, but like, it's sort of like I don't. It's like blank here if I'm not producing something.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, I, I do catch myself doing this thing of things are not exciting enough, you know, or things are too chill or whatever. I have to bring some sort of uh, bring world, something changing, you know, excitement here when I can just accept being like. We can just be lame. It's okay. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, hopefully I think, I think it's interesting, David, that, uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in in sort of your romantic life in, in terms of talking about this idea of how can someone open themselves up to the possibility of this soulmate experience or soul sex. Um, you know, like you have to sort of Address the many ways that we avoid the possibility of love. I mean, that's definitely yeah, yeah, something that's been a pattern for me. That I there was a decision point over the course of a few more years. I just started to get pretty serious in terms of how do I prepare myself for that for the possibility of that. Even though the world is telling me that that's not really a thing, there's a chance that there might be one person out there who's like on the same page as I am and um whether or not it doesn't happen. I just want to prepare myself for the possibility that one day it could happen. And, uh, I think I started to freak out, freak people out a lot more once I made that shift internally, just because I was just like completely putting it all out on, on,
2: on, on the line. Um, Mm -hmm. if I felt that way about somebody. One thing I do appreciate about myself, even if it's like will eventually end up killing me or something is, uh, I do have a very strong sense of like, like maybe it's my line in two, but like service to love. Like I said, like since I was a little kid, I've always felt that sense of soulmate. And like I really do feel the reality of that. And um, t- sort of thinking about like what, what gets you ready for like a, to find that kind of person, like sort of what you're speaking to, Emica, it's like leaning into like the heart uh, and leaning into kind of faith of heart even when everything else is like trying to degrade it you know like everything's trying to take out your light and and i think that a lot of people i think a lot of people feel the way we feel uh but that they let everything take that light out and yeah I, i i guess i'm always like i don't know there's something in like 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 listening comedians talk about their like love failures and stuff like this and the, t- listen to friends and there's just this like this strife and i can always sense like the heart underneath it that wants to make like contact and come up for air and i just feel like it's not easy but like uh that that heartfeltness quality is is really important and you have to like have it with uh like a sense of like a like you have to be grounded like you can't you have to be like be able to protect yourself and and be real person and not be like just a sentimental wimp or something but yeah yeah yeah. there's like a flame there that has to stay tended to
1: yeah i I had several experiences where i felt like i was getting my heart ready to take the plunge and i was you know like situations would present themselves where um i was meeting more people that were on similar heart you know felt level, like, like sort of like what Dave was talking about with his thing with that sexual aid that showed him that he was capable of having a soul connection with somebody. Um, you know, I think beyond just the decision of going there, I, I had some experiences that let me know that, yeah, I, I can really meet somebody in the heart space. And, you know, one day the stars will align and everything will come together. And
2: that's what happens. Yeah. Anyway. Oh. <sighs> Just Hopefully a that's good, a useful uh, episode to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go for my uh thing, Gurdue thing. All right, guys. All right. Okay. Later. All right, okay. later. Later. Thanks, guys. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye.